The best time of the week is once again upon us as we say hello and welcome in to First Draft. It's the month of February. We are now that much closer to the NFL Draft. And of course, on First Draft, there is Mel Kuyper Jr. Mel, we're doing this a day later. I'm not going to lie. The extra day away made me miss talking to you that much more. A lot going on this week with Senior Bowl practice. You were at. I'm watching the East-West Shrine game last night as well. So a lot of things going on. We've got the Super Bowl coming up next week. But in terms of the NFL draft, we say, hey, yeah, we start in August with all this process. Jim Nagy says they see the Senior Bowl really is the, signifies the start of the NFL draft process for 2024. And we're going to get into a lot of prospects that caught your eye, caught my eye, move up, move down. Can you even move down during an all-star week of practice? But got a lot to cover. Feel, let's get it going, pal. Yeah, Mel, and we're going to do our best to provide a lot of context, right? Because as you were just kind of insinuating it, like how much can a guy really fall during a three-day practice week down there in Mobile? We'll be sure to provide the best context surrounding our thoughts. But you and I are going to do a little bit of a back-and-forth mock draft, if you will, on players who maybe are seeing their stock go up a little bit and maybe those who have some work to do between now and April 25th. One, ma- one last reminder, though, of course, first draft available wherever you get your podcasts. If you're watching us on YouTube today, thank you very much. Friday is the more relaxed, let your hair down version of first draft. As Monday is now our spiffy made-for-TV version. Check us out, ESPN2, 2 p.m. Eastern time. This past Monday was the very first edition. We are also live on YouTube on Monday. So uh, if you're on Twitter, uh, go ahead and look for either Mel or my account, posting a link to that on Monday. Mel, a little bit less time on Twitter than me because he's a, a much smarter and wiser man than I am. Let's get to the Senior Bowl, though, Mel, because, of course, as you mentioned, Three days of practice wrapped up. The game is Saturday. That's tomorrow for those that are listening to this on Friday. And you've been studying this. Uh, the, you have been covering this event since probably since, uh, I don't know, probably like 25 years into it, right? 30 years into it. It's been around for 75 years. You've been doing the draft stuff for 40 plus years. So what's the importance and what are you looking for when you watch what takes place during the weekend mobile? Remember going down in 1983, field uh, way back there wow. in the 80s. Yeah, uh, Dan Marino was down there that year for the uh, 84 draft. And you think about uh, that one uh, for the 83 draft, excuse me, the 84 draft, of course, with Boomer Esiason and, and that group. And that's when the USFL was taking players away from the NFL. But in terms of where we are right now, in terms of the practices and the amount of players are brought in, the juniors are able to come now, uh, it really brings a lot to the table. And Jim Nagy does a phenomenal job organizing this and scouting these guys and bringing these guys to Mobile, really, to get some momentum feeling. It's momentum going into the combine workout, the pro days. And remember, coaches are coaching, but they're at the Senior Bowl, and they're seeing these guys basically for the first time. Right. So for scouts, we've been watching these guys since August, right? Watching them for a couple years in a lot of cases, right? Their whole career in college football. So we have a pretty good dossier already going into the season. For NFL assistant coaches field and head coaches, the first chance they get, they get the chance to see these guys is in Mobile, really, or at All-Star Games because they're coaching. So seasons are over for everybody but two teams now, right? But everybody else is down there, and those two teams are, are uh, well represented down there. So coaches can fall in love with players based on a couple days of practice. And what you have to do when they come back and they're raving about this guy they saw in Mobile, he's got to be my number one guy at this spot. He's got to be my number two guy at this spot. Settle everybody down. Slow the role of your coaches when they get back to the offices and they really want to just push guys up because of what they saw over a two, three day period. So you got to put it all in the proper context field. That's the job of a GM player personnel director to do that. But this is it's a very complicated part of the process, I believe, field as to how do you watch that 
and not fall in love with a guy? How do you watch that and not get down on a guy? How do you watch that and, and come away saying, ah, I just want to leave everything as it is? To try to tap dance around it, try to, try to figure it out, try to how much do we factor it in? Okay, that's the big question. And that's been the challenge, I think, for all of us since we started going to the senior bowl for me in the late 70s, early 80s. Yeah, there, this is all part of the puzzle, right? This is just one more piece of the puzzle here, Mel. And I'm going to get into the football takeaways, having been down there, kind of boots on the ground for three days. Before I do that, Mel, when I was down at the senior bowl, I kept thinking about you, Mel Kuyper Jr., for this reason. You were the first person to ever cover the draft in professional capacity, Mel. You started this industry. It blows my mind how much of an event the Senior Bowl has become. I don't have the specific number of people that were credentialed as draft analysts or people that cover a team as a beat reporter or a national reporter or whatever their job might be who were down there this past week, Mel. But it was in the hundreds, hundreds of reporters were down in Mobile for every second of every practice covering the draft. In the case of beat reporters, it's trying to identify who are the best wide receivers that might fit the Cleveland Browns. If it's draft analysts, it's trying to figure out who the top five centers or defensive tackles or anything anything else in between might be. A huge credit, obviously, to Jim Nagy and his staff for doing a remarkable job of making this event what it is. But I'm just thinking about you, like, when you went down there back in 79 or 83, like, were there five draft analysts that were there? How many people were there besides you for the media? It was a decent amount back in those days. And uh, it really has, like obviously now it's as big an event as it's ever been. It's huge. But I think even then you could see that there was coverage, not to the extent it is now. There's no question yeah. about that. But there so were I'm, coverage. I'm, I'm trying to get you to not be humble for a second here, Mel. Sure. Sure. I mean, the, the beat you know, writers, you, you the beat writers were there. The the fan interest was there. Yeah. Uh, did it grow? The, obviously, you talk about me and the draft. It's ESPN really field. It's everybody at ESPN. Bill Fitz back in the day when he brought me to ESPN and everything that's going on through the draft process and how it's expanded and it's being talked about all year. That's not me. That's really ESPN. ESPN's responsible, I believe, for what the draft has become. Because they were the first one to televise it. And they were there from the get-go with the National Football League saying, no, we don't want you to televise it. So let's give ESPN and everybody back way, way back in the 70s and 80s credit for that. And to where it is now is is, is they're responsible for. I think the fan interest is fed off of what we talk about every day. And the fact Mm. that the NFL draft is the key reason why teams are going to get to the playoffs and the Super Bowl or they're not. You see yeah. an immediate return on your investment with these teams, Field, and your your teams are really built through this process 100%. Free agency augments it, can add to it, and you can, you can help yourself, certainly. But the draft is the key part of this equation. We see undrafted guys every year making big impacts. So to me, I think fans see that. They want to be part of it. And the access that, it, that's, that is provided to fans now uh, is, is phenomenal. So I, I, I can't I tell you how ecstatic I am to see draft guys with ratings boards all over the internet. That got you. Know, everybody's got their guys moving up, moving down. First yeah. round mocks every day, every uh-huh. hour. Field. Yeah. I sit back and say, "Boy, this is pretty exciting to see where it was and where it is now." When it had nothing but naysayers and haters back in the day, now everybody loves this process. Field. All right. Well, I try to get you to uh, take a moment to just you know, so you could have bragged. I would have had no problem with that, Mel. You could have said, "You know what, America, you're welcome for creating this industry that is now such a <laughs> massive uh-huh. one." But in true Mel Kiper Junior form, your humility 
shines through as it always does. Uh, I will offer a couple of the thoughts about why the event uh, is important to me, Mel, and why being down there was important and influential to me. And then you can certainly add anything else because you have far more experience covering it than I do. But uh, for the Senior Bowl, what's really cool, Mel, is that ESPN broadcasts, I don't know, thousands of live events across a million different sports. I'm not sure how many events we have allow those of us ESPN staffers to roam the field like we are players during the week. That is the access that we have. I'm literally sitting there you know, five feet from individual drills, or if you know, if if, if the offensive coordinator is uh, for the American team is calling plays on the thirty yard line during red zone work, I can stand right next to the offensive coordinator. So it's a unique experience, just on an individual and perhaps a little bit of a selfish level for me to acknowledge that. But more importantly than some of that, Mel, is that you're going down there with the first chance to see some of these guys in person. There are some elements of scouting that can't be ascertained from the film. And also, Mel, we talk about body types and tiebreakers all the time, right? This was a great opportunity for me to see guys relative to other players at their same position or guys who on tape might look a certain body type, Mel, and then you might see them in person. I'll give you an example. Brendan Rice, we'll talk about more a little bit later, who it wasn't that he looked small on film at USC, but I got a different appreciation for just how well-built he was down there in Mobile. So it's so many more things that I wouldn't otherwise have available to me during this process of trying to figure out how the 256 players will end up being drafted shape up, Mel. So there's a lot of things that can be gathered in a very short period of time down there in Mobile. Anything else you want to add? Just separating players. I think that's what we're all trying to do. There are some real battles for fifth spot at tight end for the seventh right. cornerback spot. It's not all about who's the first five on your board. It's about going way down the line, well into day three, which we'll be talking about in Detroit, those fifth, sixth, seventh rounders. And where do they factor in? And who are we going to separate? How are we going to separate a couple guys that may be in play? for our team in that spot. So I think this is where you do that separation. And this adds obviously a lot of information to what we've already known going in. So now we even go to from this to the combine. Now we get measurables and we get the medical and the interview process and we get feedback from how that all went. So again, field, it's a process. This is part of it, but we have some guys we're going to get to that caught our eye and some that maybe have a little work to do, but guess what? Some can have a good day, and then a bad day. Some can have a so-so day, then a couple great days. So it's sure. not, it may not be a consistent, even week, but it's guys that were able to come in, maybe struggle a bit, but as they became acclimated to new surroundings and new players, got better. And particularly, mm -hmm. I'm talking about some of the quarterbacks. Yeah, no doubt about that, Mel. It was a slow start for the quarterbacks. Things got much better as the week wore on with another big opportunity tomorrow during the game. I did have a couple of uh, prospects I had the chance to talk to, Mel, and I reminded them that while this week is important and while the next three months are important, ultimately you have to prepare for these next three months, but do not let the next three months define what you have done or what you will do at the NFL level. Because in the case of some of these prospects, they've got five years of college tape that, to me, is the most important part of what a team can evaluate and project what those players will be at the NFL level. Let's get into a little bit of a draft now, Mel, because we're going to go through some players that maybe rose or fall or that maybe they, they, they fell a little bit this past week based off of some things that we either saw or that we heard, Mel. Let's go optimistic here to begin. Uh, we'll do a draft and how it works is you'll pick a player. I'll respond. I'll pick a player. You respond. We've got six in total. You want to start 
with the nation's best center from this past season, Jackson Powers Johnson. Yeah, a kid who really, you go back to even high school, he's playing on a defensive line, he's getting sacks, he's intercepting passes field, and he settles in and he becomes a heck of an anchor. You know, Bo Nix has talked about how important he was to the success of this Oregon Ducks offense, and he's just a rock. I mean, he just cannot be an immovable center, a guy that can do everything you want, has a confidence level about him uh, that you kind of play off of and everybody sees and everybody feels like, okay, we know. We got this guy who can anchor our line for a long time, and NFL teams are going to see that. Graham Barton from Duke is a guy who can probably play anywhere. And you think, okay, as a center, I think he can be a Pro Bowl caliber center. He's playing left tackle at Duke. But in terms of pure centers in this draft, I think Jackson Powers Johnson is center one. He's a guy as a plug-and-play starter as a rookie. He's got a chance now to be showing up in all these mock first-rounds field. Uh, to me, he's a guy, you think about Bradbury, went around with 21 when he came out. We've had centers that have gone in the first round over the years. Some have done pretty well. Some have done just okay. Uh, there have been disappointments. Obviously, you go back all these years, you're going to find good, bad, and ugly. You're going to see it all. But for Jackson Powers Johnson, I think people are confident that we have ourselves a guy. If we need that help at that position, we got a guy who can be immediate hole filler and have a chance to be a Pro Bowl caliber player for a long time. He brings talent. He brings an attitude and approach to the, to the position that you want. Uh, everything about him screams safe pick. And I think right now you'd have to say first round is, is a definite possibility for him. Certainly seems in play to me, Mel, after a couple of uh, strong showing days down there in Mobile. Maybe what stood out to me the most about Jackson Powers Johnson. Can we call him JPJ, Mel? Jackson Powers Johnson. That's a long name to have to spit out every time he's brought up in conversation. So indulge me, if you will, when I say JPJ. You know, in college, Mel, so many of these offensive linemen that we're talking about as potential first-round, second-round picks are just better than most of the competition that they faced on a weekly basis. Not always the case, but in a lot of cases, they are the superior player than they are facing off against. The beauty of the Senior Bowl is you're going best against best in many cases. And also beyond that, Mel, is that for a guy like Jackson Powers Johnson, you're not going to win every rep, but not too many offensive linemen have this tool in their toolbox right away. It's that when you lose initially, do you have the goods to make up and recover and still find a way to prevent a sack? We saw that on a couple of occasions during reps where maybe the defensive tackle beats him with a little bit of initial quickness or a little bit of initial power. Jackson Powers Johnson has enough reactive athleticism and overall strength combined with the handwork and the footwork to recover and end up winning reps that I think most other centers would, or even guards, tackles, would have otherwise lost. The recovery skill has really stood out to me for JPJ, and it's not often that he loses. It's just that when he does, he's got the ability to, at the very least, neutralize the rep. I'll keep it up front here, Mel, and Adisa Isaac from Penn State. We've had plenty of athletic Penn State edge rushers over the past handful of drafts. Heck, Going back all the way to the days of Courtney Brown, the first overall pick back for the Cleveland Browns when they returned uh, from 25 so years away. And Adisa Isaac, in some people's eyes, will be viewed as the other Penn State edge rusher in this draft. Of course, Chop Robinson, who was not at the Senior Bowl, but is a very, very athletic pass rusher from Penn State, could be a first-round pick. Isaac had more production, was probably a steadier player in the stat sheet, Mel, but he really had a strong week. His size really showed up. His initial quickness really showed up. Of course, in the senior bowl, they're not going to be tackling quarterbacks to the ground other than during the game. 
But if they were allowed to sack quarterbacks, Adisa Isaac might have had 25 during the week. That might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but not much. Between the first step quickness, the length, the pass rush arsenal that he brings to the table, Adisa Isaac looks like the kind of guy that the second round probably could be where he lands. And Mel, if you told me by the end of the process, he ends up, you know, 35, 32, back into the first round, I would say, doesn't totally stun me. Yeah, we had Odafe Owe came out of Penn State. It's a Baltimore Raven. Remember, didn't have a sack that final year at Penn right. State, but he gave him a first-round pick because he tested out great, and he went back and saw a guy who hustled, made plays, didn't impact in terms of the stat chart, but he was a guy was a guy that was obviously uh, you know, having a lot to do with how that game, how that outcome of that game turned out. In terms of Isaac, he has a second-round grade. What's going to determine for me if he's a first-round pick is – the test numbers. How does mm-hmm. he work out? How does he stack up against all the other guys? Jared Verse, we have clear-cut number one defensive end, right? Does Isaac challenge Jared Verse? Some of these guys are combo guys. They're defensive end, outside linebackers can play with their hand on the ground. They can play on their feet. They can be a guy like Chop Robinson. They can right. be, and we'll talk about another guy moving up who's got great versatility inside and outside. One of the guys I think we saw down there, we watched all year make plays uh, for the Missouri Tigers. But I think when you look at Isaac right now, I'd say early to mid two could become a late one with a really good combine pro day. Yeah, I feel the same way. Like it has to be a great three months ahead for him to sneak into that back end of the first round, but it certainly feels like if he's sitting there at pick 45, somebody's going to be sprinting to the podium to make sure Adisa Isaac is on their roster. All right, you're up now and a cornerback. Let's talk defense on this podcast. Man, a lot of offense over the first handful of editions of first draft. Yeah, I think you look at corners and uh, you, know, you didn't get with a lot of players. You're not getting a ton of rest when you saw Quinian Mitchell at Toledo and you see the receivers and you see the senior bowl and you put it all together. The ball skills. He's a ball hawk. Uh, mm-hmm. You don't break up as many passes. You don't anticipate. You don't show the awareness that he did. Then he has the long arms, which allows him to break up passes that some couldn't field. He's got this natural ability, this instinctual ability that you can't teach or you can't coach. And I think the way he is a subtle in terms of his hand usage, in terms of that, it's going to be important in the NFL. The break on the football, closing speed, all those things, Quinian Mitchell showed, and he'll tackle. So I think when you look at Quinian Mitchell right now, I thought late first round, that's where I had him in Mach one point. I think he could go middle of the first. I think he's in line to be, we talk about corners, could he be CB1, CB2? I think he could be. Ultimately, the workouts are going to determine how we separate Nate Wiggins from Clemson, right? Cooper DeGene from Iowa. Is he a cornerback? Like, I think, or is he a safety? If you move him to safety, right? You say he's my number one safety. Then you have Nate Wiggins from Clemson. You got Terry on Arnold from Alabama, all vying for that spot with Quinian Mitchell, right? Uh, and it's Rakestraw Jr. from Missouri is another one. So it's going to be a real battle. I think I think it's a pretty wide open field. If you take Cooper DeGene and say safety, I think CB1 is yet to be determined. Now, I think Quinian Mitchell, based on what we saw in Mobile, when I don't care who you were, scout, fan, defensive coordinator, DB coach, this guy jumped out at you. And he, he sure did, Mel. He might have been the, the most. Toledo field. If you go back to the tape, you got to like what you saw there. got to love what you saw there. Then to see him do what he did, he's got that arrow pointing up. He could be a early to mid-first round pick if he tests great. Yeah, Mel, there was only kind of one question that I thought he had to answer coming into this week. And this is where a senior bowl can really matter for a guy like Quinya Mitchell is that he played at Toledo, like you said. How many games was he facing off against future NFL wide receivers, maybe first, second, or third round picks? 
The answer is really infrequently, right? That's not Quingen's fault. You know, when he was under-recruited during the high school recruiting process, he didn't have offers from teams that would have made him lining up against Marvin Harrison Jr. or, you know, any of the various Alabama first-round wide receivers that have come out over the past few years, right? So he had to go to Mobile to show and just sort of confirm, like, this was not me dominating or just dominating inferior competition. I can hang with the big dogs, and boy, did he ever, man. I mean, there's a case that he was the most consistent player on the field for the entirety of the week. The competitiveness certainly stood out. One-on-ones were a, I mean, they were just a thing of beauty from Quinion Mitchell. And his on-ball production is terrific. He's got excellent ball skills, Mel. He's got this ability to trigger out of his back pedal that makes him a turnover machine. Uh, he had four interceptions in a game during the 2022 season. Four in one game, Mel. That's more than some of these guys have for their entire career who might go in the first round. Now, that's not totally their fault. Uh, a lot of it is teams just don't bother throwing the way of a player like Ennis Rakestraw Jr. from Missouri. But that four-interception game was certainly a testament to just how athletic and sort of instinctual, as you said, Quinion Mitchell is at that cornerback spot. I'm going to go back to offense because I guess I'm a sucker for it, Mel, and I mentioned his name earlier. Brendan Rice, of course, the son of Jerry Rice, the perhaps greatest player, at least greatest wide receiver in NFL history. And he had 12 receiving touchdowns this season. Now, he caught our eyes because he was the probably second best player on that USC offense other than Caleb Williams, maybe third behind Marshawn Lloyd, the running back. But the body type really kind of threw me for a whirl in a good way, Mel, here. He was one of the bigger, more well-put-together wide receivers in the entire draft class, at least amongst, I should say this, amongst the guys that were down there in Mobile. And when you see a guy who's bigger, Mel, the question then becomes, how does he hold up as a route runner? And he was a technician in one-on-ones. He especially showed up in some of the one-on-ones in which they were doing them in the red zone and near the goal line. I mean, there were guys that are high-level players. Kyrie Jackson from Oregon, a guy who had a terrific season as a man-to-man cover corner, was having a real hard time with Brendan Rice, a player that I thought maybe was like a fourth round pick coming into the week mail. I don't know that he drops up, jumps up to like a second round pick, but if you told me he was maybe more third round than fourth round, I'd say that adds up. Yeah, physical. And I watched him field. I'm thinking, okay, then in Mobile, and you saw him at USC. I remember they had Washington there, Taj Washington. Of course, Jordan Addison had moved on to the NFL. But, you know, Brendan Rice attacked the football. And Brendan Rice has had frame. And Brendan Rice obviously has been brought up in the game. And he talked about route running. That's what we know would be his forte. But to see him attack the football and have the energy. And that physicality that he showed. I mean, he was he wanted to go down there and make a statement. You could just see that. And he did. So he goes from a guy, I thought, maybe fourth, fifth, sixth rounder. Uh, you know, could he move up? Again, testing is going to be important. To take what yes, we saw will. in Mobile and then work in conjunction with numbers. If you can test well and show that kind of athleticism and speed and all the things you need to see there, and to separate him from some other guys that could have been in that fourth, fifth, sixth round range is going to be important. But for right now, he's a guy I agree with you, Field. No question. And the bloodline certainly helped him as well. It sure does. And it was great seeing Jerry down on the field, by the way. He was loving it. Jerry Rice caught up with our guy, Matt Miller, for like 10 minutes before practice. Mill. I couldn't tell who was happier, Jerry to talk to Matt or Matt to talk to Jerry. Matt, on top of the fact that he was talking to the GOAT, is a huge 49ers fan. So he was loving life. He was on cloud nine down there talking with Jerry Rice. Let's go back to the offensive line mail because you're right. It wasn't just JPJ who had himself a week. There was a Kansas Jayhawk who did as well. 
Yeah, Dominic Pooney. And you think about where we are with him. I love versatile players. And yeah. this is a kid can play really anywhere on your offensive line field. And he did a heck of a job. Left tackle. I mean, keeping that frame. You always want to not allow the pressures. Not allow, obviously not sex, but only allow pressures. And this kid mm -hmm. really did a great job in that regard. And the ability to do and kick inside and be able to be a guy could be a, really play any position. He could be the ultimate swingman field. And that's so critical to an NFL offensive line with free agency, with injuries. You start your season and you don't finish the season with the same five up front very few teams and the ones that do normally are moving on to the playoffs obviously and deep into the playoffs or the Super Bowl that can keep their same offensive alignment out there from the start to the finish so when you have a center guard tackle doesn't matter what side go down could you have a player on that roster capable of filling any of those five spots this kid can he can fill any one of those five spots and he can be a guy who will not hurt you out there and will start and has moved up from a guy I thought feel during the year. I mean, he made my top tens. I'm thinking he's a fifth, sixth rounder. Yeah. He ain't any fifth, sixth rounder. Right. No way. No yeah. way is this kid getting out of, I think, day two. I think he's a day two guy who I think offensive line coaches are going to say, we need this guy. We have to have him because he will make my job so much easier because I don't have to keep my fingers crossed. We got to get this. We got to rush this guy back from an injury. Or if he's a starter, he's day one. I think he can be that guy. So he went from being an insurance policy backup swing man to be a guy who can be a bona fide starter on an NFL offensive line. That's why to me, field, he jumped from that fifth round, sixth round area all the way up into maybe the third round mix. Yeah, Mel, I thought he showed best on the interior spots that he took reps at this past week in Mobile, but you're right. The idea of him being an in-a-pinch right or left tackle is certainly in play. That's going to do nothing but help his value. He played left tackle this past year at Kansas. He's got a great story too, right? This is a guy who was you know, a multi-year player at lower level of, in a lower-level college program. He's a local kid who finally got his dream to go play for the Kansas Jayhawks. They rave about him at the Kansas Jayhawk football program. They think Don Pooney is the kind of guy that he's got like a high floor right Mel like it may not be that he ends up starting for a team for eight years at left tackle he's going to be around for a long time because of that positional versatility I thought he was stoning guys left and right with his power during the one-on-ones and uh, one more credit to Jim Nagy he had a lot of guys Mel that had either played one position throughout all of college or at least one position for their final season and said do yourself a favor and rep elsewhere because it's only going to help your value perhaps the best player start to finish from the week mail Darius Robinson from Missouri defensive lineman who really I mean I give this guy so much credit Mel he was a defensive tackle for the first three seasons of his career on the field for the Missouri Tigers and a good one at that drops weight kind of changes his body type kicks out the defensive end this past season has eight and a half sacks for the Missouri Tigers and as you know Mel and hopefully most people listening to this know this was a terrific Missouri defense. That's why they had one of the great sort of stories of the year, being a top 10 program, uh, just a remarkable year for Missouri. But the fact that he has played defensive tackle previously reminded us of just what he can bring to the table. No one could block this guy during one-on-one -on -one pass rush trails, Mel. And I'm talking about tackles on the edge, guards on the interior, even had some reps lining up over the center. It's kind of a nose tackle, Mel. Talk about those NASCAR packages in the NFL where defensive coordinators try to get four fast pass rushers on the field at the same time in obvious passing situations. Darius Robinson is going to be a dream for a defensive line coach 
or defensive coordinator. As a matter of fact, Terrell Williams, who is the head coach of Darius Robinson's team, who uh, reportedly has accepted a new job with the Detroit Lions, you could tell just how much he loved working with this kid. Uh, big, physical, tough, has, an, has sort of a, a variety of different ways to get home mail. Would not surprise me. And I, I had him more in the second round coming into the week. Wouldn't surprise me now if he is a top 32 pick because uh, no one could block him and the versatility is just off the charts. Yeah, exactly. The way they moved him around, and you think about what he was able to do up until this year, he caught your eye because that was on a, a pretty good offense, a defensive line. You think about it, McGuire was there, yep. Jeff Coat was there, he transferred, but uh, and then Hopper and at linebacker, Wingo, yeah. and, and then Abrams Drain, and we saw Rake Strahl Jr. They got some young guys as well. They're going to be stars on that defense moving forward. So it's a talent-laden defense. Defensive coordinator was able to springboard off of that uh, coordinator job moving on to LSU, right? Yeah. So I think yep. you, know, you talk about where we are right now with this football team and where we were with Darius Robinson, a guy that you thought going in, okay, where does he fit in? The versatility to me, and I love Pooney because he's versatile. I love the fact you can move this guy around. You can create matchup advantages for Darius Robinson along a defensive front. You can have everybody guessing as to how he's going to line up and how he's going to attack a quarterback and get after it and get into that backfield. To me, I'm with you. Jared Verse, we talk about as the guy, the defensive end, maybe a mid-first rounder. Adisa Isaac and Darius Robinson are vying on my ratings board as that second guy behind Jared Verse. Robinson and Isaac will battle. Verse has to hold them off. It could be a three-horse race there. It could be a battle. And I think the versatility of Robinson is going to benefit him if he tests well on the heels of what he was able to do, playing that a variety of roles on that Missouri defensive front. He certainly could be a pick in that 20 to 32 range. And he, he certainly, you talk about helping your draft stock, but it also was what he did during the season. Okay. Mm, it's totally. not yep. just about a couple days. You better have done really well then because two or three days in Mobile don't mean much on the heels of a so so year. That's what we have to always put into context. You know, the guys we like, we like them coming in. Darius Robinson was either two or three on my defensive end board coming into this. I know I'm right. sure he was on your board field. These guys didn't come out of nowhere. You can't overreact to a couple practices and a couple matchups and a couple reps. This better be on the heels of a heck of a year. And for Robinson, it was. Yeah, and the power is going to translate, right, Mel? I mean, that's one thing that we are always trying to find these these pass rushers that have this incredible quickness off the edge, and those certainly help. I mean, that that's a nice trait to have. And if you can find a guy like you know Von Miller coming out of college, obviously there's a reason why he goes number two overall. But you can find powerful guys as well who win in different ways. Darius Robinson does have some quickness, but he's just so versatile and complete. All right, fallers, we want to be very specific here, Mel. I don't think there's a player who just all of a sudden had his drop stocks take a significant hit this week, other than maybe the only player that, to my knowledge, suffered a major injury, Rasheen Ali, the running back from Marshall, who reportedly suffered a torn biceps. And that that's the kind of thing that you know that might drop a player a you know a round or so if he is at least in some danger of either being unavailable to start training camp or limited to start training camp. But no other major injuries that I'm aware of right now. I don't think anybody really dropped, dropped during the week. But as I mentioned at the start of the show, some of the players or at least some of the kind of concepts I'll be discussing are guys that when you canvas scouts and coaches around the NFL, certainly the scouts that have been doing their homework on this draft class for you know nearly eight, nine months, uh, and just sort of seeing where they view players and how the league might view players, Mel, more context for us as we continue to maneuver our big board. So I'll start here. I'll be the first bad guy, man. 
And I'm going to kind of loop, loop one position that I don't think it was a bad, terrible, underwhelming week by any stretch for the tight end class, just kind of as a whole for the senior bowl. There are some good players who were down there. Jared Wiley from TCU, all of six foot seven. That guy can really run. He's going to be a good player in the NFL. Ben Sinnott from Kansas State, going to be a good player in the NFL. Jaheim Bell, whatever you want to call him, tight end, fullback, H-back, however you want to describe him, good player. I just was wondering, Mel, if at some point during the pre-draft process, and we still have some time ahead of us, whether there are going to be a couple of players who might sort of emerge and make me feel like this tight end class has a bit more sort of star power to it than it currently looked looks like. And I don't know that I left Mobile feeling as though there are a bunch of tight ends who I now view as like, you know, top 100 players. Do you feel differently about this tight end class? No, they were underwhelming. I thought Ben Sinnott, who I really liked, the versatility he provides as an H-back, fullback. He had a couple drops. And that, you know, even against Kansas State, there was a time where he kind of fought the ball a little bit. So the consistency catching the football, there were opportunities there for Senate that he didn't come through with the reception. He did have a couple nice catches, but overall a little inconsistent there. I think you look at guys now, you go back to finding other guys like Dallin Holker at Colorado State, an yeah. H-back formerly BYU to Colorado State, made a lot of big plays on that uh, offense with the Rams this year. And certainly he's a guy to watch. And you think about other guys that we're going to talk about through this process and maybe challenge a little bit. Uh, and some of these guys we thought were going to be in this draft, Luke Lachey, Jim yep. Lachey's not, yeah, injured, going back to Iowa. Okay, yep. some guys we thought would be in this draft aren't. Theo Johnson, Penn State, has talent. He's not the wow factor guy, but a good, solid player. He's in that mix to be the third or fourth highest rated tight end. But Wiley was okay, not spectacular, uh, but I expected a little more out of Ben, ben Sinnott. I thought Ben Sinnott had a chance to really take charge that week and say, hey, I'm the guy. I could maybe be in that third, fourth round mix. Maybe he still will be, Field. I had that kind of grade on him coming in, but again, the drops were something that made you left you scratching your head just a bit. Yeah, you were talking about Luke Lachey. Other tight ends that we don't have in this class, either because of injury in the case of Lachey or just the decision to go back to college, includes Tyler Warren from Penn State, who, Mel, he might have fought for my second best tight end on the board. I thought he's a really, really good player. The fact that Penn State had two tight ends this past year and an ineffective passing offense limited the overall production, but it was hard not to like what you saw when he did have the football in his hands. Uh, you get to be the bad guy now, Mel, and... Uh, the quarterbacks, there were a lot of there were some quarterback star power down there this week. But what caught your eye? Yeah, no followers uh, for me. Nobody's a yeah. follower. But for this segment, I wanted to throw two quarterbacks in because they were falling initially and mm. they kind of were rising back up. And that's a testimony to what they're able to do as veterans and guys mm. like Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr. They're what, 23, 24 years old, right? Yep. They've been around different programs. They dealt with adversity. They've had to, that you test character by things aren't going your way. That's the <laughs> ultimate test of anybody's character field. When you're not only dealing with struggles, you're dealing with injuries, multiple injuries, as Michael Penix Jr. did, having to leave Indiana to go to, to Washington, and Kalen DeBoer's out there, so there was familiarity there, and he benefits from that, and he has the two great years. For Bo Nix to come in highly regarded, your father is a quarterback at Auburn, you're the Auburn Tiger, right, for life. And then you have to leave that program after some struggles to go out to the Pac-12 and to Oregon and go out there with Lanning and put together two really good, great years and be in that Heisman mix and thinking going into the Pac-12 title game, we thought Bo Nix could seize that Heisman with a great performance in the Pac-12 title game. Unfortunately for them, Michael Penix Jr. and the Washington Huskies got him for the second time. Those two quarterbacks down there, early on, I'm thinking, 
forget first round, second round, maybe third. Uh, yeah, it, but again, that's what you see. When you see it, you say underwhelming. But then mm. to see progress and to see them yesterday, and I'm watching them in the red zone, boom, boom, boom. You know, accurate throw, zip on the ball, precise passing, confident because they were able, you're throwing all receivers new to them, new situations, pressure, certainly for Bo going back to the state of Alabama, right, to play there where he had to leave Auburn. For Michael Penix Jr. as well, all those new entities, but to see progress from those two. So when I say falling, maybe early on falling, but they were able to recover. And I think that's the key, recover, and get themselves back into the mix to be QB. We're going to say three we know. Who's QB four going to be? To me, Field, J.J. McCarthy is still right there from Michigan, and Michael Penix Jr. and Bo Nix are right there. So I think it's going to be a three-horse race for QB four. Between Man, Bill, that might I don't be think the those most... two did anything to dispel the fact that they could be in that late first, early second round discussion after all. I second. think both, by the way, Mel, that, that might be the most compelling question this year's draft. Who is QB4? Because I think, you know, I felt stronger and stronger by what you and I have been discussing throughout the first month or so of first draft. That Like, we really do have these three quarterbacks that are solidified, and there are many, many people uh, that feel, at least view, the likelihood of quarterback going one, two, three as pretty darn strong at the top of the draft. We'll see whether that actually shakes out. Obviously, it happened three years ago in 2021 with Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and Trey Lance. Feels like it's not necessarily, I mean, nothing's a formality, right, Mel? But it certainly feels like a lot of people around the NFL are operating that way. Let me provide a touch of context here that might be of note. Uh, for everybody who's out there who's saying who thinks I'm going to be making excuses for these quarterbacks, that's fine. I'm just passing along what we heard. Uh, obviously, the NFL and college play with different footballs, uh, and these college quarterbacks were getting adjusted to those balls during the week. And for those that don't know the uh, the process involved for a quarterback to get ready to throw a football uh, during the NFL season, like quarterbacks have the ability to work with new game balls every single week and they kind of scuff them up right well they get them to have a little bit more friction a little bit more grip available for them so it sounded like the quarterbacks were actually struggling with the grip early on in the week of the footballs there that also included the centers as well i mean this is just a natural adjustment right so it felt like they grew more comfortable as the week wore on and as a result of that, it showed in terms of their operation. It showed in terms of their accuracy. But you're right, Thursday was a really strong day for Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr. And I give them, I give Jim Nagy a lot of credit for having those two playing on the same team mail because it created a bit of a competitive spirit. And I give both of those players credit for being at the Senior Bowl, right? It would have been easy for guys who might wind up, not just in the first round now, but it's possible, maybe not a guarantee. It's possible that one of those guys could go top 12, right? The crazier things have happened than quarterbacks going earlier than the public imagines. Those guys could have not shown up, not competed, and probably still been okay in the grand scheme of things. They were both there. They were both there and showed up and kind of provided uh, sort of like Northern Stars for the week. It did feel like the energy was a bit different when those two were on the field as opposed to the other quarterbacks. And there were some decent weeks by other quarterbacks, to be very clear. But Bo and Michael Penix were, you know, those are probably the two two of the biggest names, probably the two biggest names at the entire event. Yeah, it's going to be hard for me. Like they're able... the kind of guys who, uh, who can handle a lot of responsibility like that. And I think you know where I'm going with this. The thing that's always hard for me is when I see a Will Levis drop to the second round. 
Yeah, of course. I look at yeah. Will Levis's talent, and I, I thought he could have been in mix to be a top five pick, and really should have been. He drops to the second round, and I compare a Will Levis to a Bo Nix and a Michael Penix Jr. Uh, yeah, and Will I Levis agree, right? a second round pick. It's hard for me to say first round with Nix and, and Penix when I know it's a different year. Everything's yeah. different. If you redraft and uh, you know, in a couple of years, hey, how how did Will Levis get to the second round? I think Brian Callahan's thrilled to have him as a quarterback in Tennessee and working with sure. him and seeing what he was able to do on the road against Pittsburgh, on the road against Miami, the great game to start his career against Atlanta, and all the things he did in between, and the physical talent and the, the want to and the toughness and the smarts, all those things he had to see him in the second round. And I have to say, is Michael Penix Jr. a late one? Is is Bo Nix? So I got to put it all in the right perspective here of the field when I have yeah. to finalize all this stuff in ratings. But I think uh, to recover the way they did, and you mentioned all the reasons why quarterbacks early on will get off to a start, and also the game. I remember Josh Allen was down there with Baker Mayfield not that long ago, right? Yeah. Josh in the game, okay, didn't have a great first half, remember? And he said, yep, hey, going to halftime, you may, I want to be back on that field. You're yeah. putting me back on that field in the second half. And he went on that field in the second half. And then you started to see Josh, you know, really making plays, legs, making throws, doing everything. And, you know, I think Kyle Lawletta from Richmond was the MVP of that game, by the That's way. That's right. That's okay? right. Yes, he but was. Josh Allen came back after some struggles to have that really impressive start to the second half. So that, again, the game. Now, I've had personnel directors and GMs tell me field over the years. Don't forget about the game. Now, everybody leaves Mobile, right? Yep. And they're home. Don't forget about the game. Who shows up after maybe a week that was underwhelming and balls out on game day? That yep. really goes out and impresses. And, and because of the, and some guys aren't cut out for that. A Tavon Dre Sweat, he's not a one-on-one warrior. He's not a guy, and, and, and those drills down in Mobile are going to wow you over. But you put him in a defensive front against an NFL offense where he's stuffing a run, he's getting some penetration, working in conjunction with the defensive tackle, freeing up the linebackers to make plays and flow. The, everything Tavon Dre Sweat and some of these defensive tackles do field ain't going to show up in Mobile. So you might get down a little bit on a guy, but boy, it comes, yeah, how did he get the – I remember Gilbert Brown out of Kansas went in the third round. Yeah. Pretty good player with the Green Bay Packers, right? All right. Totally. So again, you know, Tavondre Sweat's one of those guys that's not cut out for him to really showcase that, hey, I'm gonna wow everybody and I'm gonna store up boards. I might, I might be a little underwhelming at times. And people might question how I fit in. But hey, when the game arises and those linebackers are saying, Hey, why are you were, were you uh, why did you co- total 10 plus tackles? Hey, that big guy right there is one of the reasons. I didn't get blocked and I could float the football. I'm 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 thanking my guy up front. To me, that's why on game day. And even moving forward, some positions you can pop a little in, in, in the senior bowl practice, some positions you just can't. And I think that's what we also have to take a look at as well. All right, Mel, that is perfect because one of the players that I had written down as a, as a follower during the week is Devondre Sweat. And not for some of the reasons that you just laid out, by the way, he actually did have some moments during one on one drills where guys just couldn't hold up with his power. I mean, he is the strongest player in this draft. I mean, I guess other contenders would probably include J.C. Latham from from Alabama. Those are the two guys that probably come to mind for me as pound for pound, the most physically dominant players in the entire NFL draft this year. Uh, But with Sweat, I think the fundamental question that people in the NFL are asking about Tavondre Sweat is this. Uh, We don't know exactly how much he weighed during the week. Uh, Mel, he decided not to weigh in. I don't know how many players opted against that, but the answer is not that many, that much I am sure of. But he was listed on the Texas website as 362 pounds, Mel. And the question comes down to how many players at that size are right now in the NFL playing 
a significant portion of the snaps. Let's call it 55 to 60% of the snaps. Again, the answer is not very many whatsoever. And NFL teams are then asking, if a guy is a 50% or lower percent of the snaps player, is he a first round pick or do we just need to address a different player at a different position that we might get more utility out of over the course of a season? That to me is going to be the Tavondre Sweat dilemma. Because if you go back and watch the tape mail, as you just alluded to, I mean, go ask the Oklahoma guards how much fun they had trying to block Tavondre Sweat. Heck, go ask any Big 12 offensive lineman what it was like to block Tavondre Sweat. Heck, the guy was good on defense. He scored a touchdown in the Big 12 championship game. The guy's an unbelievable athlete. By the way, that was on offense. So there's certainly a lot to like in small doses for Devondre Sweat. The question will just be, can he become Haloti Nadamel, right? Because you know Haloti, I mean, not only was he you know, a dancing bear out there, but he had this incredible stamina that allowed him to be on the field all the time. Yeah, you go with the Jordan Davis that came out of Georgia a couple of years yep. ago. And look at he I go to Gilbert Brown when he came out of Kansas, was on that same defensive front with Dana Stubblefield, 49er first round pick. Gilbert Brown sure. dropped to the third round and had a half over career. So I think uh, obviously Tavondre Sweat, you think about Mobile and you got to put on you know, the game day situations for these big guys and how they factor in. And can they be guys that are on the field for a amount of snaps you're talking about field? Probably not in Sweat's case, but when he is out there, he is going to be a vital part of an NFL defense. Front And we're really looking at defensive tackles this year overall that for the most part during the season were somewhat underwhelming. And some guys had injuries as well they were dealing with. So the defensive mm. tackle spot that we looked at in August was going to be unbelievable. It could go seven, eight, nine deep with high picks. That didn't really materialize during sure. the course of the season. Sweat, though, and Byron Murphy II, his teammate, uh, not in Mobile, but a guy who had a solid year and certainly is going to be a guy that people are going to start talking about in that mix to be you have the top defensive tackle with, with Johnny Newton from Illinois being another. Uh, I sure. think Braden Fisk was at Western Michigan making plays in Florida. He State was awesome. Doing damage. Nice player. Yeah, he's not the 330-pounder, but he's quick. He's explosive. Makai Wingo, uh, you know, LSU, to LSU, yeah. injured, but was very productive and a highly regarded player prior to that. So there's going to be a lot of defensive tackles to work through between now and late April because that's, that's a very fluid rankings board for me is the defensive tackle position. All right, a couple more players that are sort of, and I'll use the air quotes here, fallers for us this week. Before we get to the much-anticipated return of Mel going off script, I know I can't wait. America can't wait as well, Mel. So how about a wide receiver for you that you think maybe uh, didn't have quite the week that you were hoping for? Well, early in the week, and I know he left with, I think, an injury if it was Xavier Leggett yep. from South Carolina. Jim Nagy came one Darian Mel last Saturday and said, this is a guy, to, you know, keep an eye out for Xavier Leggett. He had the great season at South Carolina after, you know, the kick returns, we saw what he was able to do the previous year, but hadn't exploded onto the scene until this past year with Spencer Rattler at South Carolina with Juice Wells injured. So I think you look at, at where we are right now with Xavier Leggett kind of battling. Ladd McConkey to me, wow. I mean, this guy quick. Uh, can catch everything. Yeah, so Xavier Leggett, you have Xavier Worthy at Texas, Adnai Mitchell at Texas. Yeah, you got Franklin at Oregon. Walker at North Carolina was inconsistent catching the ball, but we know he's got talent. He did it in the Mid-American Conference. He did it when he was on the field uh, for North Carolina once the NCAA let him play. So there's a lot of receivers vying for that fifth, sixth wide receiver spot field. Xavier Leggett early on, 
I didn't see it. Uh, then he had the injury. Uh, you can tell me if I was crazy, Phil, but I thought, uh, you know, you, I thought this week could have helped him maybe solidify. Jim Nagy thought maybe a late first round spot. I had a second round grade on him coming in. I thought maybe an Alshon Jeffrey type. He went second round. I think that's the kind of player Leggett can be. So I'm going to maintain my grade. I didn't move him, uh, but had he had a great week and remained 100% all week and really been the guy we were talking about today as a guy who was on fire and, and uncoverable, maybe we would have had a first round grade on him. Yeah, it seemed like it was a little bit of a slower start to the week, and then it got better on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, he was not able to participate. Nothing serious right here, Mel, but it sounds like maybe just smart to not go out there and risk further injury. I'll tell you what, the body type really stands out. You know, people were surprised he measured in at six foot one. He's listed on uh, South Carolina's website as six foot three. Uh, but Mel, back in my college football days, which were inglorious, I think I was like a six three, two hundred pound safety. I was only about four inches shorter and about. 30 pounds lighter than that. Press guy and weights are that. a little off field. Yeah, just a little bit, Mel. Just yeah, you know, press guys. They're, they're back in the day when the I was looking at press guide, about like 200 press guides coming, you know, every every August that I have. You know, the, the press yep. guy Titans weights were a little, little, a uh, little off. Yep, just a little bit. Uh, but to, but Xavier get like you know certainly looks the part, even if he's not six foot three and. I think that uh, stacking the wide receiver is going to be so compelling, Mel, because there might be guys who wind up with first-round grades but don't go in the first round only because, you know, how often do you see seven, eight wide receivers go in the first 32 selections? The you, answer I'll is not guy, all Neil. that frequently. Malachi Corley. Yeah. We talk about yards after catch, what he did at West with the bubble screens and doing things after the catch. Catches the football. I mean, he's an energetic kid. He loves to attack you when he gets his hands on the football. Malachi Corey is going to be one of those second round receivers. He's going to come into the league and have a heck of an impact, I believe. Yeah, he's unbelievable after the catch. He is fearless as well, like almost to the point where I want to tell him, like, you know, you can run out of bounds on occasion, right? Sort of preserve your body just a little bit. Because you know what they say about like, Josh Allenfield? Let Josh be Josh. Let Malachi right. be Malachi. Let Malachi be Malachi. You know what, Malachi? I will say this about the body type for Malachi Corley. He's thicker than I realized. You know, it's not that uh, he was a, 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 like a real thin wide receiver when I was watching the Western Kentucky tape. He is well built. He is stout. Uh, that much is for sure. It was and very, let me mention very one other guy, Phil. Herm Edwards has yeah. always raved about this guy. He had him at Arizona. So there was a lot of great Sun Devils. Ricky. Herm Edwards early on and moved on. And, and yeah. ended up some... Ricky Pearsall. Yeah. Ricky Pearsall. Another uncoverable. Slot receiver. He can catch the football. Can do things after catch. He's in and out of his breaks. I mean, he is a, a guy, you know, the confidence level. You throw the ball his way. He ain't going to drop it. Ricky Pearsall is going to be, I think, a third-round draft choice. Yeah, the last one that I'll mention here, Mel, and the followers, and I love Ricky Pearsall as well, of course, had the catch of the year in college football, that catch against Charlotte for Florida. One-handed snare took a massive, massive hit. Last follower for me, Mel, that I'll mention is that when we were doing, you know, the way too early mock drafts, of course, our guy Todd, Todd, Todd did for us last year. You know, there were times if you read uh, that article or, or pieces like that from various people that covered the draft uh, in the media space, Mel, I think there was a chance that like Mount, that Kool-Aid McKintree was considered like, you know, a top 10, 12, 15 pick. I'm not entirely ruling out top 15 here, Mel, but it feels like maybe the rest of the cornerback class kind of caught up on Kool-Aid McKintree. And the questions for Kool-Aid will be kind of twofold. I mean, he has got these loose, silky smooth hips. He can really cut. He's really reactive, right? His match and mirror skills are just terrific. He's a pure cover corner, if you will. 
The question will probably be Mel. Speed. Yep. Yep, it, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be the speed. How fast does he run in Indianapolis? And also the size, right? He's, he's a little bit, uh, he's kind of a narrow framed cornerback, which how does that hold up when you're facing off against wide receivers that I was just telling you about Xavier Leggett, who even if he's only six foot one, he looks like he's 230 pounds. I mean, the guy is just, he's like a, you know, a small tight end out there. So those would be the two things I think with Kool-Aid that maybe determine exactly where he goes, yeah, whether I, it's I'm closer to 35 or 15. Yeah, and I think when you look at the cornerback rankings board, I have him right now at the same grade in that seven, eight, nine spot in terms of the corners. So there's a sure. lot of corners that have jumped up maybe ahead of where Kool-Aid McKinstry is right now. But a seventh, eighth corner is going to be a second-round pick. So yeah. uh, at worst, the third-round draft choice if he drops down a little bit of the after, uh, further from that after the combine pro day. So, yeah, we'll have to see where he ends up. But at worst, the third, probably a second not a first for Kool-Aid McKinstry, the way it looks right now. Hey, yeah, we don't talk to 32 teams. Who knows how that's going to shake down? But when I did mock 1.0, I did not have Kool-Aid McKinstry in round one. All right, last one here, Mel. Last part of the show, I should say. And this is the best part because people have been waiting for it. It's time now for Mel Kuyper Jr. to go off script. Mel, whatever's on your mind, fire away. I am all ears. I'll tell you, Isaiah Davis from South Dakota State. Yes! I got to give them some love. Yeah, the Jackrabbits, are you kidding me? They send guys to the NFL. They win championships. And Isaiah Davis, and I got my notes, for his size, right, the feet. The mm -hmm. cutback ability, the stiff arm, runs through tacklers, right? Runs the daylight, can make you miss, can catch the ball. Isaiah Davis on day three, when we're sitting there in Detroit and everybody's looking at guys that could be nice picks at that point, always feel, always running back, slide through the, slip through the cracks. They slide down a little further than they should because they're running backs, right? right. We can find them later. Round five, round six, round seven. If you can get an Isaiah Davis, I want that kid on my team. I, yeah, I want him. I think you look at Peyton Wilson. Oh, what a week. I got to mention, we Peyton Wilson at NC State had injuries, right? Had some injuries. The durability is the concern. He's not the attack outside linebacker is going to get you 10, 12 sacks a year. He's an all-around complete player. He shows up instinctively when you need a play, there he was, whether it was right. intercepting a pass, breaking up a pass, getting after the quarterback, tracking a running back, a receiver from sideline to sideline, in space, breaking down, making tackles. He's the complete linebacker. He can play anywhere. He can do anything you need him to do. Peyton Wilson, you talk about a baller, he's a baller. He's a guy you want on your football team. So I, I, I said from the get-go, I like this kid. I want him on my team. There's a guy right there, Field. You got to love. A guy that I want to talk about, East-West Shrine game as well was last night, but a guy I liked, and I mentioned Dallin Holker from Colorado State, right? Mohamed Kam uh, Kamara. His teammate, yeah. Uh, all he does is get after the quarterback, and I watched him at Colorado State. And every game being impactful, getting tackles for loss, getting sacks. I think I had the number somewhere here. What uh, 17 uh, tackles for loss, 13 sacks, 16 tackles for eight and a half sacks. That's the last two years. Five forced fumbles the last three years. Christian Boyd's another kid from Northern Iowa. Okay, we go about Trevor Penning, right? Yes. Spencer Brown, right? Yeah. David Johnson. I go back into my day, a linebacker played for the Green Bay Packers out of Northern Iowa by the name of Bryce Pop. Remember Bryce Pop? Tall, 6'5", linebacker. Ooh, that one I don't. I believe it was like a fifth-round pick out of Northern Iowa. This is a kid, Christian Boyd. When I watched him this year, he was way under the radar. I liked him. I almost put him as the 10th. Todd always said, I, I, it's a Kuiper stunt. Todd McShaw said, stop with the <laughs> Kuiper stunts. A yep. Kuiper stunt. I'll tell you, I'll define a Kuiper stunt, everybody. That's putting a guy 
a little higher to get his name out there. Even though right. I may not think he's going to go that high, I throw it out there to get a reaction and to get him some pub. Christian Boyd from Northern Iowa, what's he, 6'4", about 317, he popped for me this year at Northern Iowa. He had tackles for loss. He had sacks. He was getting tackles. He was his stuff in double teams. He was making plays. He was getting into the backfield. There's a kid that I liked. I think he's the kind of kid and on day three is going to be a really nice player. So I want to get some love out to guys who aren't the first, second rounders field, but will be uh, guys that can play and play a long time in the National Football League and impact some rosters this coming, uh, impact the roster this coming year. Mel, every time I start going on and on and on about these guys are going to be top 25 picks, you remind me, you say, Young Fielding Yates? The draft does not end on day one. It's a seven-round draft for a reason, right? So some of those players that you just mentioned might be second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh-round picks. But as we have seen every single year, including the two teams playing for the Super Bowl, those day three picks really do matter. So don't overlook these names just because you don't see them in our first-round mock drafts. Uh, Mel, I love that. I always love having you go off script. For more next week, a reminder, Monday, first draft, we will be live 11 a.m. Eastern time on YouTube and then 2 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN2. For those that want to watch the TV version, he is the great Mel Kuyper. He needs no introduction. He needs no outro as well. Mel, I'll talk to you on Monday. Have a great football-free hey. weekend in terms of the NFL, but the Senior Bowl on hey, Saturday Hey, we got to get you on. Daria Mel Show, 10 a.m. to 1 I always got time Eastern for you. Time field. We want you on over the next couple of weeks. We'll be on tomorrow morning. Daria and I talking NFL draft, doing all the things, getting taking calls from you. You got a call, you want to call in the Darian Mel show, give us a call tomorrow, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Darian Mel on ESPN Radio and Field. I'm going to lock you in as a guest sometime over the next couple of weeks. The student calling in to the teacher. I can't wait, Mel. We'll talk to you all soon. First draft returns on Monday.